The following is offered by Discerning Hearts, a 501 nonprofit Catholic apostolate dedicated to spiritual formation through the use of digital media. To download this selection, or to browse hundreds of other programs, or to contribute to our mission with a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, visit our website at discerninghearts.com. Ignatius Press and the Augustan Institute present The Formed Book Club. Catholic book lovers unpacking good books chapter by chapter. If you like us, please help us by subscribing and by reviewing us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you might listen. And don't forget to sign up for weekly updates and study questions at formedbookclub.ignatius.com. Welcome to the Form Book Club, where we continue to discuss the spirit of the liturgy by Joseph Carmel Rassinger for Benedict. Uh, we already spent a full session on the first half of the chapter on music. Now we will hopefully conclude that chapter in this session. Uh, the last session uh, ended with the problems that Ratzinger saw with liturgical music in the modern or contemporary period. Uh, and he, he outlined those problems on page 161 of the new edition, 147 of the old edition of the book. And he says there's three developments, you know, that have taken place. One, cultural universal, universalization, universalization, so that church music has to be acculturated in a much broader mix of cultures. Two, the classical music, what it, as it, it used to be music for ordinary people, now it's become for an elite group. And three, the uh, music of the masses, he called it, has kind of degenerated into pop music on one hand, really popular music and rock on the other. And so he asked the question on page 162, what is to be done? Theoretical, this is about two-thirds down. Theoretical solutions are perhaps even less helpful here. There has to be renewal from within. So that's always his first step is that, you know, we have to change ourselves if we want change outside of ourselves. Uh, nevertheless, by way of conclusion, I am going to try to sum up the principles that have emerged from our look at the inner foundations of Christian sacred music. That word inner is always an important word for him. The music of Christian worship is related to logos in three senses. Again, this is Rasengarian to the core, right? He's always going to see how things are related to logos with a small and with a capital L, that is the word. Interrupt me anytime you want, Vivian and Joseph, because I'm on a bad roll here if I don't. Well, let's go through this list and then see if okay. there's something to say. Okay, so number one, he says, Bonner on page 162, uh, Christian worship music is related to the events of God's saving action to which the Bible bears witness and which the liturgy makes present. So, it's going to have a historical context and probably often content as well. Next page, three lines down. In liturgical music, based as it is on biblical faith, there is therefore a clear dominance of the word. This music is a higher form of proclamation. Very important how he ties the music of the liturgy into the word being proclaimed. Middle of the page. Thus, the relation of liturgical music to logos means, first of all, simply its relation to words. That is why singing the liturgy 
has priority over instrumental music, though it does not in any way exclude it. So that's his first principle. You, you want to comment on that, anybody? Wow. Okay. Uh, the second principle here, and this has to do with uh, another step. We think it's logos, therefore logical, therefore we can circumscribe it with our ideas and concepts. No, 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 wait a second. This logos is expressing something deeper than itself, mysterious, God himself. So page 164, because of this, this, the fact that the words reveal something which goes beyond them, three lines down, four lines down, words are superseded, but not the word, capital W, the logos. This is a second deeper sense in which liturgical music is related to logos. The church's tradition, capital T, has this in mind when it talks about the sober inebriation caused in us by the Holy Spirit. There is always an ultimate sobriety, a deeper rationality, resisting any decline in irrationality and inner moderation. This idea that, you know, uh, God is ineffable, uh, God is mysterious, we can't fully express who he is or what our relation is to him, you know, that doesn't mean that music should descend into the merely emotional or uh, unstructured. Could I say something on that, Father? Because, uh, you know, most you can of You always us, say something on anything. <laughs> thank you. Um, most of us uh, have grown up to one degree or another um, uh, with an, uh, an association, a relationship with what he calls pop music and even rock music. Um, and, you know, it seems that pop music is uh, related to the cult of the banal uh, and rock music to the expression of elemental passions. Um, and so the first thing you know that, all right, so again, the, then the connection, what you just said here, um, there's always an ultimate sobriety, a deeper rationality, resisting any decline into irrationality and immoderation. So do we think that the big problem with rock music is that it lacks that sobriety, that deeper rationality, and it, it is an expression of a decline into irrationality and immoderation? Is that the problem with rock music? I mean, all of us, well, most of us, I imagine, like some rock music, and, 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 and so therefore, you know, there's always this issue of, you know, should I? <laughs> should I like this music? Should I be spending time listening to this music? Is it not perhaps a waste of time or worse? Is it actually, you know, even sinful for me to be squandering my time with with, with this? So, I mean, how do we relate? Well, distinguish right away. I distinguish right away. With how he describes what music should be in the liturgy. You you can like music a lot. Does not mean it should be liturgical music used in worship. So there's nothing wrong with liking rock music, I don't think. I think there is something wrong with introducing any of the mass. And I think also, part of it has yeah. to do with the proportion between body and spirit. Rock music, by its very nature, with its strong rhythm, it's about the body. And it's about getting the body moving. And other dance music, too. I mean, waltz is about dancing. Okay? So... It, it, if it's meant, if the music is inherently meant to get your body moving, then what ends up happening is what he describes down here on page 164, the danger of it 
dragging man into the intoxication of the senses, crushing rationality and subjecting the spirit to the senses rather than the other way around. Right. Yeah. What about the date? But what about the danger, though, of, for instance, I mean, uh, rock music such as John Lennon's Imagine, which is just not just about getting you to move. It's that's, getting you to think. That's true. Uh, and, uh, but obviously in an erroneous way, unless you're atheist, uh, believe atheists to be correct. Or even, you know, I remember there's a novel by Walker Percy. Lancelot, where he takes as a motif, yes, me and Bobby McGee, which was a you know nineteen late nineteen sixties hippie song, you know about you know gallivanting around the country with with the man the man or the woman you're in love with, and it's nothing to do with marriage or it's just you know right. fe- feeling good was easy, Lord, while Bobby sang the blues, right? right. It's just about feeling good. So, uh, but this is, this is engaging the emotions, but it's also in some sense engaging the reason um so so I, i'm just trying to grapple because i know that you know that is the liturgical music is one thing and obviously we all agree we don't want what music in the liturgy but to what extent should we be listening to that sort of music anyway well if if you know a lot of this there is an objectivity here but a lot of this also has to do with what impact does that music have on a particular person as well in terms of listening for your listening pleasure? Okay. Um, so I don't know. I mean, take Bobby McGee. I mean, the other thing about rock music, it's influences and our, our, our techno guy there, uh, Thomas Jacoby, who's a musician himself, he might actually have something Im- interesting to say, but even if it's not the rock thumping beat, if it's the blues, you know, those chords have a uh, kind of impact on your senses, on your body in a, in a downward kind of way. I mean, there's a time to listen to the blues. Maybe you feel the blues. Maybe, maybe, maybe you want to indulge in the blues a little bit. But at church, at mass, when you're supposed to be worshiping God, are, are you supposed to be going down into the blues? You know, I mean, so I think we have to be honest about different types of music are written technically the technical elements of the music have a particular impact on the senses on the emotions on the body and i think we need to be able to stand back and ask ourselves and is that what we want the senses and the emotions and the body to be doing at worship and if it's not then maybe that's not the music we should be playing in church how much did you want to comment on that at all you don't have to well i think uh one, the blue, just Vivian is right um, about the influence of the blues on rock. I mean, rock comes pretty much directly out of blues and, and also, also out of big band music, which so it's just kind of a popular form of jazz, dance, dance jazz, because jazz used to be dance music and it got kind of intellectualized in the 50s, um, in the 40s. Uh, and I think that blues music can be uh, very beautiful, you know, in the way like the like the the Book of Lamentations of Jeremiah, you know, talk about a book that drags you down, yeah, you know, in a, in a way. I mean, you you hear the chanting uh, if you go to Tenebrae, you know, the 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 Book of Lamentations is is chanted, and uh, I mean, it's kind of a crushing experience, you know, and uh, I mean, and the refrain is you know, Jerusalem, return to your God. And so I think there is a place, like you said, there's a place for uh, for music that kind of drags you down. But the, the problem is, 
uh, well, one, what's the place for that in the liturgy? Uh, but two, even outside the liturgy, uh, should we listen to music that let, that that, that kind of trains us to dwell there in some kind of, uh, so I'm just talking about the blues. I mean, rock music, it's, it's a little bit more complex because rock has a lot of different influences coming in. Uh, so I would have to think more about that, but definitely when it comes to, to blues music and lament and kind of minor things that are heavy and in a minor key and very rhythmic blues is, is music of lament. You know, it's the music of, of, you know, it's the music that really came from the, uh, African-American slaves, you know? And so it's, it's lament. There's so often some hope in there when, when it's influenced by gospel music, by, by Christian elements. But, uh, yeah, like what's, it's a question of what's the place for lament, you know, and should we let, should we let lament govern our lives? You know, Ratzinger takes this expression, which comes from one of the fathers, I think it might be Augustine, of uh, sober inebriation. That's the translation of the Latin. Uh, with the paradox there, that the inebriation, being drunk or being having your senses impaired, uh, or at least affected strongly, done in sobriety, what does that mean? It means... Uh, it means a restraint. It means a, a, a measuring by logos, by reason, so that we don't deny the body, but we have to master the body, so to speak, and, and restrain it sometimes. The word that comes to mind as I'm thinking about music and mass, which I think should not be there, is sentimentality. That is, if the music, you know, is sentimental music, that that's... That's infatuation. Right? It's not. It's not sober inebriation. And Thomas brought up the the tenebrae. That is what's sung on Good Friday. Uh, that is the most sorrowful time of the year. Christ is crucified. And I still remember from my novitiate, at the Popolimeus uh, setting. This so slow Popolimeus quid fecite. I mean. Oh my gosh, it just really moves you. So, but again, the music has to match the words. Yes. Uh, that, that seems to be the key here. Well, Father, I yeah, think I, you I, put I, the... I, I'm going to desist because, uh, you know, I, I, I brought in this, which obviously I think I think it's a very interesting tangent, but it is a tangent. Uh, but, you know, but to bring it up. But just one thing I want to say, just to put it out there, and then we can, we can, we can stop and move on. For instance, in literature, I use as an example of to what extent should sexual relations be part of literature. And I often use the example of Brideshead Revisited, where Julia and Charles begin their adulterous relationship on the cruise liner. Um, and she says yes now, and he goes with her into the cabin. Right? We then know what's going to happen, but the door is shut in our face. Right? We're not a fly on the wall in the bedroom. So, so the point is that there's a sense in which it's not good for us to be taken to some places. Um, you know, we, we don't want to be there because it's not good for us. Um, and you know, I, I, I think this must apply to at least some types of pop and rock music. I'm not certainly not. I, mean, I listen to pop and rock music myself, so I don't want to be accused of being a hypocrite here. So, you know, um, but I, I do think that we do have to be uh, have an element of discernment as to what is this music doing to me or for me when I'm listening to it? Is it leading me further away from Christ? And if it is, perhaps I should stop doing it. Well, I think Father put his finger on the key word. Music moves us. So now we have to ask ourselves, in this particular place and time, is this music moving me 
to ma- what matches the place and time. If I'm supposed to be experiencing grief, then a lament is appropriate. But if I'm supposed to be a prayer, I'm not supposed to be listening to dance music and so on. I think we have to be honest that music, music moves us without our, the cooperation of our will even. It starts to impact you immediately, right? And we have to be, and then the second key word, Joseph, discernment. So now we have to discern. Is this music moving us appropriately, given what we're supposed to be praying about, thinking about, and doing? We'll return to the Forum Book Club with Father Joseph Fessio, Vivian Dudreau, and Joseph Pierce in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me, To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to the Formed Book Club with Father Joseph Fezio, Vivian Dudreau, and Joseph Pierce. And on page 165, top there, not every, this is kind of summarizes what we've been saying, not every kind of music can have a place in Christian worship. It has its standards, and that standard is the Logos, capital L. And then, bottom of that paragraph, does it integrate man by drawing him to what is above, or does it cause his disintegration into formless intoxication or mere sensuality? That is a criterion for music in harmony with Logos, a form of that logike latreia, reasonable Logos worthy worship, of which we spoke in the first part of this book. And that's a favorite little phrase of his from uh, Romans, I think it's chapter 12. Uh, 
worship. The the section between the two passages you read there where he says, the Holy Spirit leads us to the Logos and he leads us to a music that serves the Logos as a sign of the Sursum Corda, the lifting up of the human heart. So I think there, you know, about what, 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 what is the response of this uh, aspect of who we are, that not rational, as, as, as Vivian says, it moves us um, uh, outside of, of our reason. Does it lead to that sursum corda? Does it lead to that lifting of the heart, the raising of the heart, or does it lead us to other places? And if it's, if it's, if it's not, doesn't pass the sursum corda test, <laughs> should we say, perhaps it shouldn't be in the liturgy. Now, that's part two. So, you know, part one here was that the music is related to the sacred history. It's related to words. Number two here is it is the Logos has to temper the music and make sure it's leading us upward, not downward. Number three, he expands us, expands it here. Uh, about five lines into that paragraph, number three, this word leads us out of our individualism into the communion of saints spanning all times and places. But he's going to go on the next page to say five lines, four lines. All our singing is a singing and praying with the great liturgy that spans the whole of creation. So both history, the saints, and as it were, the music of the spheres. And that's at the bottom of the page, 166, three lines up. The beauty of of music depends on its conformity to the rhythmic and harmonious laws of the universe. The more that music adapts itself to the musical laws of the universe, the more beautiful will it be. Uh, and uh, by the way, I, the, the, we can make a list of the music which is least in, you know, harmony with the universe. And I would say rap music is one, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it's, it's interesting uh, here as well because um, you know it, it, in Boethius that whole idea of the uh, music of the spheres, right? Um, the music mundana, and then the music uh, humana, that music of the soul that's in the human person. That somehow the music instrumentalis, that the audible music has to somehow play in harmony with, right? The musica mundana and the musica humana. Yeah, our soul, uh, our music, and the music of the cosmos itself. On page 168, very top, all true human art is an assimilation to the artist, or all sub-creation is an assimilation to creation, as Tolkien would say, to Christ, to the mind of the creator. The idea of the music of the cosmos, of singing with the angels, leads back again to the relation of art to Logos. But now it is broadened and deepened in the context of the cosmos. Yes, it is the cosmic context context that gives art and liturgy both its measure and its scope. A mere subjective creativity is no match for the vast compass of the cosmos and for the message of its beauty. When a man conforms to the measure of the universe, his freedom is not diminished but expanded to a new horizon. What a beautiful expression that is. Yeah, it is beautiful. There's a whole idea that the muse should serve the Logos, right? That ultimately the, the creativity, which might transcend 
our thought processes nonetheless have to conform to ratio, right, to the logos, that, that, that our, our creativity needs to subject itself to what we know to be true and not merely allowing ourselves to be subjectively creative and do whatever we feel like. Uh, you know, we have to subject our subjectivity to, to objectivity. Yes, well, actually, uh, he, on page 169, about 10 lines down, he says that uh, the cosmic character of liturgical music stands in opposition to two the two tendencies of the modern age that we've described, colon, music as pure subjectivity. This is your Saint Joseph. And then comma, music as expression of mere will. Now, I'm not sure what he's referring to there. Uh, well, he goes back to the previous page, Father, talking about Schopenhauer. says, for Schopenhauer, it's two-thirds of the way down, page 168. Yeah. For him, the world is no longer grounded in reason, but in will and desire. The will precedes reason, and I, you know, one of these days I might try to write a book um, <laughs> called um, called uh, "Critical Empowerment Theory." Uh, that basically all the problems are not caused by race; uh, they're actually caused by empowerment. In other words, by ultimately by pride, right? So, th th this whole idea that we subject reality to ourselves. Right, that's the problem because that means subjecting others to ourselves, whether it's on an individual level or societal level. So, um, you know, I think that's the whole point here that ideas such as Schopenhauer's means that now we do things to things rather than subjecting ourselves in humility to them. Can you, I, can you think of any examples of that kind of music being used in the liturgy? I, I mean, I, I, I can't. So I'm just wondering what that might refer uh, to. In the liturgical context, uh, well, I mean, you know, the, the, the idea of, of, you know, the, the sentimentality where some sort of, uh, should we say, theologically questionable, uh, we are church type thing is, is being brought oh, into or, the liturgy. It's no longer geared towards sacrifice, but towards okay. community, you know, so that sort of, that, that there certainly was, and a lot of that, liturgical music that was around the 70s okay. and 80s, this sort of agenda going on. Let us build the kingdom of God. Wait a minute. It comes down out of heaven. We're not building it, you know. <laughs> exactly. Also, as far as the standard, and this is something which uh, Pius X expressed in his letter on music, which was uh, restated both by Pope John Paul II and by Pope Benedict in some of their writings, namely that... Uh, Gregorian chant is the standard by which we measure any other music to be used in liturgy. Does not mean it always has to be chant, but it does, does it, is it consistent with the spirit of chant? And I've proposed the, uh, the Fessio test for liturgical music. Anybody who wants to sing something in mass or play it, you say, well, let's make a recording. We'll, we'll, we'll do a piece of chant here. We'll put your music here and we'll follow by another piece of chant. And we'll see, does it shock you or does it blend in? That's that's my test. And I also think, and I could be mistaken in this, but I think there is a distinction between the parts of the Mass itself, the Sanctus, the Agnus Dei, and so on, and the hymns that are sung, like a procession hymn, a recession hymn, a communion hymn, that aren't actually part of the Mass. They're not part... But even there, those songs ought to follow all the criteria that we have just established uh, in terms of its fittingness and, and uh, so on. But 
I think there is a real difference between a hymn that's sung at different breakpoints and the actual words of the mass being put to music. Well, and that that's a good time for a reminder of legislation, which is still in effect for church music, uh, is that if you're going to have any music at all during the mass, then you must sing parts of the mass itself. If you want more solemnity and more music, then you add music like an entrance hymn or a recessional hymn or an offertory hymn. But if it's not part of the Mass, you shouldn't have that singing unless you already put the Mass itself to music. We do just the opposite. Oh, wow. Yeah, Just the opposite. We, we have at Mass, we have, we have the sandwich Mass. You've got the gathering hymn and then the scattering hymn, you know. <laughs> Uh, and then in between is the mass, with sometimes an offertory and sometimes a communion. But that is, it, it's contrary to the church's legislation. But I think the legislation is correct. It has a deeper meaning, namely that the primary purpose of music in worship is to set the worship itself to music. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I have yeah. one in, in, in the book. In the book that, that the Ignatius Press published with the Gus Institute, we discovered, uh, we, we discussed in a previous form book club, uh, uh, the music of Christendom by Susan Tracy. There's a wonderful quote in that which I can't remember. And I'm going to garble, but but she talks about Gregorian chant is that basically it's it's humble of its very nature and it only exists for to, to actually praise the Lord. It only exists to be a prayer. Um, and so that that, that is the, it's the simplicity of Gregorian chant in its you know humble putting itself at the service of the Lord, which I think makes it so beautiful and and should be the the the, the, the litmus test for all other music in the mass. Well, that's a great segue to my last quote and last comment, and in the last sentence of the chapter on page one seventy, humble submission to what goes before us releases authentic freedom and leads us to the true summit of our vocation as human beings. Amen? Amen. 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 Okay. Amen. So, uh, good place to end. Good. So we'll, we'll, at the next session, we'll start part four, the liturgical form, the chapter on right, R-I-T-E. Thanks, everyone. God bless you. See you next time. If you enjoyed this discussion, please help spread the word about the Forum Book Club by subscribing to the podcast and writing a review. You can sign up for weekly updates at formedbookclub.ignatius.com.